everybody, and welcome to your wrong. So, Matt, what is everybody wrong about today? Today, everybody's wrong about being a dungeon master or a game master. Um, you know what? You're, you're, you're so wrong that you can pick either. You're wrong because you're not doing it. You're wrong because you're not doing it right. Uh, maybe there's even a rare case if you're wrong because you're doing it too well, and that's annoying for everybody else. Probably what? I'll cover that one. Yeah, like, you know, like Matt Mercer and those uh, guys. Like, Oh, that? Okay, I see what you mean. All right. Yeah, that's, a, that's annoying to be that good. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> Anyways, um, I think our listeners know by now that we both have run our own games. I've run a Dungeons & Dragons game, and you've run a, a vampire game that we both play in. Uh, but we've also brought along uh, our buddy Dan, who has uh, played in our games and is DMing a third game for us, just to wrap it all in a nice little bow. Dan? Hello. Thank you for having me. So I guess I'll get a little bit more into depth um, with my first point of you're wrong for not uh, running a game. And, and uh, you know, bear in mind here, I'm going to talk primarily from a, a Dungeons & Dragons 5e standpoint. But um, if you're not playing, if you're not running a game because you don't think you don't think you can do it, you're, you're a coward. Um, you're a seven. You can you could definitely do it. It's it's relatively easy. Yeah, I mean, if Matt can do it, you can do it. Right. If Cobra can do it, you can do it. Yeah. Um, you know, Dan does it, but he is actually good at it because he's been doing it for a lot longer than at least I have. Um, so, so, you know, there are lots of tools to get into it. And, you know, whether you're looking at doing like um, a module that's built by, by w wizards or whether you want to build your own thing, it's, it's relatively easy if you're willing to try and, and you have some friends that are, are willing to have a, a maybe a poor game experience. <laughs> The first time, <laughs> as you all learn together. Yeah, learn with you and, you know, realize everyone sucks until they get good. Okay. But, like, w one thing that I'm curious about is, so you said, you know, that you're a noob and you are at this. Um, I I am a noob in terms of D&D because &D I haven't played a lot at all and I haven't DM'd at all. But I know Dan has done both. So, Dan, what has been your experience in terms of, like, the games you've DM. Let's let's just use GM because we're gonna talk about more than one system here. Let's just use Game Master. So I know you've GM DD, obviously, because you you GM for us, but I know you did other systems. So what has been your experience as a GM over the years? Uh well, uh if we're gonna get into the history, like if we're gonna talk about my credentials, if you will. Uh let's see. I actually started with DD, I wanna say first edition. Oh my um, God. Yeah. My first experience with it was actually my sister who was visiting us for a summer came down and brought all her nerd and nerd accessories with her apparently and uh, introduced me and my buddy to the game. And uh, it lasted precisely one session, which was less than an hour. In <laughs> fact, I think it was about, if I'm remembering correctly, probably about 20 minutes where we ran into the very first monster and promptly died, and that was it. Nice. That was my introduction to Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> so you have to have people willing to endure a bad time. <laughs> and my sister never ran another game for us again. But she did give me the books, so then we kind of took it from there. <laughs> I guess my question is, what did you do to your sister to make her hate? <laughs> You Dungeons and Dragons? Do you really know. have to ask? It's a sibling. <laughs> yes. Par for the course. Like, 
Ah, fair, 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 fair. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, from there, I mean, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with uh, Second Edition. Um, I bought all. I promptly went out and bought all the rule books and everything because it had come out by that point. And uh, yeah, it was just it was a lot of fun because you. I literally poured over those books and would read them from front to back, front to back, like DM guide, monster manual, player's handbook, all that stuff. And uh, which kind of comes to bite me in the rear at this point, because nowadays I still kind of fall back to thinking about those rules. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean, because I've done exactly that, but with vampire. But it was later in life than what it sounds like you did. Like, were you like two when you started things like that? Oh God, no! I mean, I know first edition <laughs> came out in '74, but yeah. you know, I wasn't even alive then. So, yeah. Uh, but no, um, second edition had been out for a while when my sister had introduced me to it and everything. It's just that just happened to be the stuff that she had. So, ah, okay, yeah, yeah. Because I did the whole idea of reading all of the books, especially like so. Vampire has, I'm sure D and D has a lot of supplements too. But like the thing with Vampire is it's all segmented, or it used to be. So you have the usual for any other system, right? You have the main, like the core rule book, and then you have a player's guide, and you have a storyteller's guide or a GM guide in this case. But then every clan of Empire has its own book. And then there's some other stuff about magic and some other stuff about like the social aspect of the game, the political aspect of the game. And I, I used to do exactly what you said. Like I read everything from beginning to end to the point where I used to like... Like my players would go, oh, I'm going to do this. And then I would say, you know, your character wouldn't do this because on page X of a book Y. You were that guy. I was that guy. <laughs> yeah. And I hate like, you. Yeah. I mean, luckily, most of the time I was the GM. Like I played some, obviously, as the first thing. It's rare, I find, for the first experience of a new RPG player for them to be the GM right away. Unless it's a, it's a group of people have never played rpg at all and then someone has to take i'll bite the bullet and take them one for the team so i played for a good year maybe before i started being the gm but i found i found it easier for whatever reason to connect with a a bunch of characters more shallowly than with one character for whatever reason and and so i i dm'd or gm'd for on and off for like 10 years but as, as Matt has become painfully aware when we played together this last year, I was much more used to playing for like 12 hours straight every week and not like three hours every other week. So my games, my one shot that was supposed to be like two or three sessions at the most lasted a year. So, yeah. Yeah. One, <laughs> one, one year shot. shot. One year shot. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've, I'm probably the, the last person to, to start DMing games. I played a lot with Dan, uh, when we were younger. Um, he didn't start DMing. Uh, um, when I was playing with him, we played his characters with a guy named Dave. Um, and, and, but then eventually Dave moved away, I think. So Dan took over. Um, and we basically played in his basement. Classic. The appropriate setting. The appropriate setting. Yeah. And, in in, in, in a nerd's basement. Uh, with yeah. a bunch of other nerds 100 uh, percent classic <laughs> yeah so um and you know maybe two or three years ago now i guess i decided i wanted to play again and i figured why not try to run the game and and so it's been interesting 
learning curve for me, having played a ton, but not having been a, a GM before of how to build a story, how to not build a story, tools I should use. Um, the one thing I can say is I started out like all uh, GMs who fail initially trying to control the story. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's the one thing I can recommend off the top of the, the off the top here is you really want to have a really light framework of information or things that are happening in the world. Like having a big bad, you have to, you know, figure out that's okay. But, you know, trying to be like, they're going to go to this dungeon they're going to do this puzzle and then that puzzle. And then if they fail, this happens or that happens, man, don't, don't waste your time. Um, you just want to be like, they need this information. They can find this piece in this dungeon. However, they find that piece in the dungeons up to them. The structure you think you need, you need, years less of, of structure um, so that's the biggest thing i learned when i was when i've been first doing it till now is it's a lot less structure and, and i think dan can attest to it because i think we've done this recently in our, our campaign is you can build a lot of stuff that will never get used and you <laughs> you're gonna have to get on board with that <laughs> yes yeah yeah it's uh that or you have to find creative ways to make sure that it still gets used and not feel like it's being ham-fisted <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Do you have an example that you can share with us that isn't going to ruin the campaign we're currently in? Uh, well, in the current campaign, since I am currently running a module, um, although I'm kind of using it more like a light framework at the moment rather than you know a hard and fast rule like you were saying, um, the uh, I'm trying to think specifically if there was something where that might've happened. Okay. Yeah, sure. So one of the sections that you guys did as you were progressing through a sewer, which, you know, again, typical dungeon setting in D and D, uh, there was one section where there was an ambush and I kind of highlighted that it was an obvious ambush. And so it was supposed to play out a specific way (laughs) and you were supposed to have dealt with the ambush in a specific way. And it, wasn't and so as a result i had to kind of decide on the fly like all right well then how are the antagonists of this current uh, setting going to react to the fact that this did not go as intended and uh i kind of clutched some things together and uh (laughs) the uh end result was that you guys kind of had a real easy time of it because all of the encounter balancing was completely modified afterwards. But uh, in the I mean, it still ended up being uh, an enjoyable experience for everybody, but you, you still have to really, you really have to think on your toes as a GM. Like, and that's another thing I guess we can kind of get into, but um, no matter what kind of structure you're following, whether it's something you created yourself or something you're following you know, through uh, provided materials, I mean, you're always going to have to think on your feet and make adjustments and everything else. So so you mean to tell me that we were not supposed to get, you know, pelted with arrows and almost drowning crap? Is that what you're telling me right now? Because that felt natural. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like yeah. your very first real encounter ends up with a party member already having to make death saves. I mean, you know, that's, you know, that's very, very appropriate. Well, I mean, it wasn't your very first encounter, but it was the first encounter. <laughs> it Another was party encounter. member needed it, yeah. They, yeah. I mean, both encounters, we've had someone 
That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. That's, <laughs> a, that's the mark of a good GM is putting your players in peril at all times. Um, I think it keeps everybody sharp and it makes the game interesting. Probably. Yeah, I, um, I, I agree with Dan there. Like thinking on your feet is like probably one of the most important traits of a good GM, because no matter how, like Matt says, no matter how, tightly you plan stuff your players are always going to throw you curveballs like to the point where a whole section of what you're planning to do is not going to happen because you know they had to go to place x and do the thing y and and they they were like no we don't care about place x and you go but but my planning no you can't yeah i'm very familiar with that at this point too because <laughs> Well, uh, so for everyone's reference, to those that are listening, um, the current module I'm running is the uh, um, Waterdeep Dragon Heist as a lead-in to eventually playing the uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. And uh, so currently introducing them to a segment where they come into some property, uh, there was some pushback <laughs> with regards to desiring said property. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we did not trust you at all. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, in fairness, uh, the character that provided you guys the property came across as something of uh, a little more than a scamp and more of a kind of a deceptive asshat. So, yeah, deceptive asshat is right. Yeah, he knows what he did. Yeah. But so, again, th- with the respect to the whole thinking on your feet thing, um, one of the things I decided to do was uh, because I've done a lot of pre-research into the module and uh, supplementary materials, both official and non-official, like things from um, DMs Guild uh, to plug websites and whatnot. um, There's a lot of third-party things that are created that while some of them are kind of crap and some of them are not bad, they're fun to dig through as a means to just sort of pick over to get ideas. Like I'll, I won't even like, and this is going to sound terrible. Like I won't buy the things, but I'll read the synopsis just <laughs> to see what they like, what they entail. And then I'll be like, Oh, that's a neat idea. Maybe I'll just come up with something pertaining to that. Or if it sounds like particularly good and you know, price is right. I'll, you know, pick up one of these modules and then start to incorporate it into whatever I'm working on. So to that point, because I had a lot of pushback with regards to the property you guys were given, I uh, decided that, okay, well, I'm going to have to make this thing more interesting and more worthwhile. And fortunately, because I'd done the pre-research, I did have some sort of um, backup plans to make it more appealing. I mean, we accepted it eventually, Dan. Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) I thought we were very magnanimous in our acceptance of your free lodgings in Waterdeep, personally. You, you mean the free, haunted, broken-down lodgings, but, you know... You have no proof it's haunted, uh, and we're digressing from the point of this story into our Fair own game. enough. <laughs> no one wants to hear a story about our own game. I think that's a little too boring. Yeah. Um, to bring it back, Dent, can you... I guess, can you sort of describe how you're, you're taking this Dragon Heist story and making it your own and adapting it to, to our game? Because I think that that'll be interesting for a lot of people who are going to be first time players is to take something and make it their own. All right. Uh, so, so far, I mean, from what you guys have experienced in the game, um, 
I haven't deviated from the script too terribly yet. Um, primarily because it actually does serve as like a really good introduction to um, D&D, Waterdeep in general, that kind of thing. So like, I didn't really want to mess with that too, too much. But um, because, as I said, I'm going to be leading into a second module. Um, and the second module is Dungeon of the Mad Mage, as I mentioned. And uh, it's a little more of, it's a completely different style of module. Whereas like Dragon Heist has a lot of like RP elements and story and like a coherent plot and you know it's actually decent. The Dungeon <laughs> of the Mad Mage, by all accounts, is kind of crap. It doesn't present much in the way of RP potential unless you make it have RP potential as a gem. Like you're going to have to make some tweaking edits that kind of thing to make it more appealing so that it's more than just the slug that you know of plowing through rooms of monsters and traps and because that's basically all it's meant to be i mean it's borderline like you're playing a board game rather than a tabletop game so to that point because the module is the way that it is some of the modifications that i've been making to dragon heist as a lead up to dungeon of the mad mage um, which you're not going to see a lot of it now, but it is going to lead into like where we are in the game currently. Um, but as we're leading, getting closer to Dungeon of the Mad Mage, and I've been dropping little things along the way, subtle things that you have no idea about, of course, because I'm going to be modifying Mad Mage, I'm also going to be doing things in this game to sort of play into my modifications to Mad, uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. or I, I can I always get the module name wrong. <laughs> so it's like you're trying to like you almost was like you created a, a a module of your own that kind of weaves into both of them is what you're saying. Yeah, so the way I look at it is that modules, you know, you don't follow them to the letter. You never do. Like yeah, even because of your players like forcing you to go off track, like you'll have to think on your feet that kind of thing. But at the same time I really don't like following a script too closely. I like making things my own. And so as a result, like I will modify things constantly because I don't know, it just, it's, it's nice to have a template, but the template's just a starting point. You you know, you build off of that to really make it something that you can both have fun with and feel proud that you were able to like actually come up with something. I mean, it sounds terrible in a way because like, Oh, I'm just playing a module and I'm saying, Oh, I've made it something and I'm so proud of what I've done. But there is a surprising amount of work put into trying to customize modules like that for, you know, to make the experience your own. Yeah. I have, I started our campaign the same way, uh, using the minds of Fandelvar, um, story to, to customize. And as you can see, Dan's already doing it here with some minor things, but when you take someone else's work, it's actually really hard to, to know inside and out. And so your, your GMing experience can be a little uneven if you don't take the time to commit that information to, to memory, because it's not something you've created in your brain. It's, I found it harder to, if something needs to be ad-libbed or filled in as you go along, if you're, you're trying to make a solution for someone else's story it can be challenging in that regard so so it's good to 
to use that as more of inspiration and starting point and and sort of you know a way for you to learn how to how to run the game as as a, a gm but i wouldn't necessarily tell you to stick to the story at any point um kind of let the story go where it needs to as you go through and add in your stuff when you need to um, rather than try to stick to to the the module all the way through necessarily yeah i've only tried to run um a story like that like from from a book from a module once and i don't I've never looked at a module at a D and D module, but I can I can say that if you try to follow on Vampire, if you try to follow too closely, you're done because it's too much information, like you said, Matt. But also, it it tries to weave some of the RP elements that you're supposed to kind of get into into the story, and that like if if trying to get plot points and story points across from someone else's work, like you said, is hard. Imagine trying to, like, getting some really deep RP information for NPCs that you haven't created yourself and having to convey that in a, in a kind of credible way while guiding the plot to where it needs to go. It's impossible. Oh, like, I, com- I completely mangle NPCs that are... <laughs> they are nowhere near what they were supposed to be in the module. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I think you have to you have to make you your own, like you both said. Like you, if if you try to follow it to the letter, like it's just gonna sound wooden, and, and it's it's not gonna work really. At least for me, I don't think I could. I don't think I could make it work. My favorite thing with uh, pre-established modules is when they provide you with pre-baked dialogue, so oh. things that you have to read out. Oh yeah, because I'll I'll read it out anyways, but I always do it in like sort of a lightly mocking tone, I guess you would say, <laughs> because it's never it it always comes across as so hackneyed and just cheesy. <laughs> it's it's they assume that you are going to do the role play part of a role playing game, like like you're on a critical role, right? Like you're a professional voice actor slash actor that is invested a hundred percent, and most people aren't that invested in the story. Yeah, and so it sounds stupid when you're not gonna put the voice on. To... I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I when I do my NPCs, I try to make them a little bit different from each other, so it doesn't sound like it's just me talking. And even trying to put on an accent is hard. Imagine trying to create a new voice and mannerisms and shit. Like, if you're not a professional actor or or something like that, you're gonna just like fuck it up, basically. Oh, I, I, yeah, I agree. Uh, the, with regards to NPCs, I mean, it is probably one of my weaker, um, probably, probably one of my weakest elements of being a GM in any game. I try to come up with different voices or mannerisms or tones and like, I'm not terrible at it, but what I am especially terrible at is if there is more than one NPC active at the time and I have to bounce between them, they just turn into one big mushy gray blob <laughs> and it's all so samey. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we all do that to some degree. It's hard not to, to. Yeah. Yeah. I usually in that scenario, every once in a while the only thing I role play with any effort, I'm sure as you guys have seen, is like it's really easy to play an idiot character. Oh God, yes. And so that's one of the ones I fall back into is because you just stilt their ability to talk. And it, it, you know, instead of saying I'm stupid, it's like me so dumb, and it it works. It's so it's the easiest and the only one I'll I'll probably do with regularity. 
because it's just well easy as i said yeah for me where you know coming from a different completely different system the, the thing that i usually uh let's say i i sprinkle too much of it on my npcs is grandstanding as you've probably seen matt like some some npcs they like they start off as regular people and then in the middle of a of a conversation they become this sort of like pompous pieces of shit and it's hard to tone it down really and like like dan says when there's like two or three and and if one of them is supposed to be a pompous bastard and the other two are not they end up all sounding kind of like similarly pompous all the time and like using words that they shouldn't know because their intelligence scores aren't that high and they aren't that educated but you know that like what you have with the ease of you know kind of portraying someone who's dumb i if if supposed to be a bunch of people that are arrogant idiot, idiots and, and like they're just trying to flex on you, fine. Anything else, they turn into what Dan said. One blob of just sameness. I wonder if that says something about our personal selves that we default into idiots. <laughs> hopefully, <or. laughs> hopefully not. I, I, I would like to think no, but I, you know... <laughs> I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna use an example from my game, uh, one of the problems I've run into is that I've kind of led the party astray to some degree. I feel that son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, and that uh, everyone is just so mistrustful of everyone they run into at this point, <laughs> which is part of what led to some of the problems with regards to like when they got the property they were given. It was kind of like a hmm. <laughs> I think I think the problem there is that the PCs don't trust each other either. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah, there is definitely not a lot of <laughs> unity in that party yet. Yeah. Not yet, anyways. I'm hoping yeah. it develops over time, but we'll see. Well, that's that's an interesting point that we can we can shift into here. Is you know one of the challenges of being a new uh, GM or even a you know maybe not a seasoned GM, but someone's only done it a few times is when you're playing a when you were playing a role playing game. A lot of it requires your party, the players you're playing, to also invest in the world to some degree. And and I'll bring up the the one dance running just as as an example here. But because it's new, characters are new, and and as you know, the the people who are playing don't know each other. Um, mm -hmm. Like all of us don't know each other. We know a couple of people on on each side. Dan's the only connecting piece, but he is the the, the DM. It's it. You have to get used to everybody's play style, and and it seems like right now everyone's playing their character in a very solo way, um, and and I think that's interesting because obviously the group doesn't really have a good binding piece within the story. But I'm wondering, Dan, if you know, like, if you think that that there'll be stuff in the story that you're going to use to to help bring the party together, or if the party will always mistrust everyone, and you're going to use that to drive a wedge in the party at some point in the story. No spoilers, but <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I, one of the things I've been trying to do is, um, like I said, one of the unifying elements with this module that I thought was going to be a little more unifying was when you guys came into this property thing, I figured, Hey, they all have something that they're equally invested in. So now they have no real choice, but to kind of work together to make this thing something they can all use. And uh, so I'm slow. I'm hoping that as I develop that sort of thread line uh, for the story, that maybe you guys will sort of get a little bit more cohesion going as a result of it. But uh, yeah. 
you know, uh, we'll see how that plays out because I've got some things in the works. Again, I can't say much because you're actively playing in the game, but yeah, that's that we'll, see, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea as a way to, to get people on board is to help them make them work together in a cooperative manner outside of like, you know, if, <laughs> this is going to be a weird reference point, but uh, it's the one that popped into my head is I think of, you know, when you're doing combat in Dungeons Dragons as um, as like almost like a baseball team. Um, you don't really have to work together that much, right? Each hitter hits, and if the guy behind him gets a hit, great. The guy in front of him gets a hit, great. But on their own, they could be capable of killing a creature. So, you know, combat isn't the best way to to bind a party together. It's generally the stuff that happens outside of the the, the combat that really kind of brings a party together and, and makes it sticky. So so it's good that, that, that you're going to give us that tavern to try to trick us into being friends. I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> you guys now own this thing together. You better get along, you fuckers. That's basically yeah. what it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, Cobra, um, we just finished the very short one shot that took us the better part of my entire natural life. Um, <laughs> how how did you bring us... How do you think you brought us all together? How do you think combining the, the vampire crew worked? So the I think it, it's... Uh, it's, it helps to understand if, if I if I preface it with a little bit with like what what the core idea was, um, and so vampire has some very specific like moods and themes that they want you to use for the game, right? It's uh, like in D and D, it's adventure, it's glory or riches or you know that kind of stuff, and vampire has its own, which is not necessarily something I I do. Actually, it's not what I do usually. I I like to focus my my main um moods or themes when i am the gm they're usually more about the mystery and like conspiracy that kind of stuff and i try to that that game we played i was me trying to make it a more vanilla vampire experience which just cemented the fact that i don't particularly like it like as much um but so what i think i did there that worked to some degree is you know you were both all the characters were all new vampires right you had just been released into society into the vampiric society which is part of the whole thing and the other one was you were kind of thrown straight into a huge bonfire of shit right you like without getting too far into the details of 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 what it was but like you were in this party um which is you know your first official thing in the society as fully fledged vampires. And then some shit goes down and your sires, the people that made each of your characters, vampires said, yeah, we owe some, some favors to, to this person and you're going to pay it for us. So, and so you guys were entrusted and, tr- and thrust together into this kind of shit situation. And that sort of duress tends to, find people but it, it also like it bred some trust between you guys because you all knew it you're like your each other's characters before right but that i find is a, a lot of like it's very ham-fisted right that's that's like the whole oh you're all in a tavern and a and a shady person in a hood approaches the group and says i have a job for you like it's very in, in vampire the equivalent of that is the prince calls all of you to ask you for a favor or ask you to do something. It's the same. It's just as ham-fisted. So I try to veer away from that a little bit. I mean, bit. That's, that's definitely what 
happened instead of the prince it was like the the sires yeah the sires but it might as well have been the prince um, yeah. Yeah. the one thing I'll, I'll say about that is i think the advantage you had there was that there was you know it, it felt like for me there was some overriding like danger of if we didn't solve this puzzle what would happen to to our our characters you know yeah and you you didn't know in game or out of the game what what could possibly happen which was that that's part of the the fear of the unknown right okay what if we don't get this done what will happen to us and nobody told you right so i think that helps but like i'm planning a new game and and it's going to be a completely different way of bringing you guys together because you know i'm sure you both agree you've both done a lot more dnd than i have but like bringing the party together and having them work together in that first few hours of the game is awful because it feels so forced even if the, the group are, are friends like it's so forced and it's so awful like oh yeah you guys like now are a group like why right that i, I don't know for me at least it always feels the, those first few hours are always very awkward as a D, as a gm uh, I can compare and contrast my previous aborted game compared to the one that I'm running currently for that exact example. Go for it. So the, I actually was running a game prior to jumping into the uh, Dragon Heist. And it was a purely custom campaign, custom setting, custom everything. Like I put in a drastic amount of work into this thing. And uh, the only difference was that everybody was coming like every character had their own backstory their own life events leading into things and the only unifying factor was that they just all happened to be in the same place at the same time at the start of the game and i had two plans going into it which was okay so game one session it's not really going to be a game session we can talk about how you guys all met and so I would get the players involved in crafting their own, like how they all came to be a party. Absolutely. Everybody had no interest in doing that. And then I was <laughs> completely flummoxed and it was just like, Oh, okay. Well then, um, here's an NPC that's going to send you on your first task. So it basically just completely devolved right back into you have assembled in a bar. Here is a person with a thing for you to do. Yeah. So, whereas this one, um, I already had a unifying aspect that I just basically forced on everyone, which was, you're going to Waterdeep, you traveled together, this is how it starts. <laughs> yeah, even on the second one, when we talked about it, people still kind of struggled to come up with ideas, and, and we put the loosest framework possible of my character being, you know, having employed these guys to do something previously. Mm -hmm. uh, but... It, I think, you know, one of the challenges, I think a lot of people want to play Dungeons and Dragons, but they're not comfortable role-playing. And so they have to develop like, their interest in the game and get used to it, right? And so that is, for me, that's where the the starting point is always hard because no one wants to really get into role-playing immediately. They don't really know their character yet, potentially, or they don't have a good feel for the game. And so they don't want to suggest something because it might be wrong. And so invariably that's when you get the, you guys walk into the tavern and, um, you know, you, you talk to the bartender and he's like, I got a job and it needs five people. And it just so happens there's five people sitting around the table and now you're best friends forever. 
So, so I think it's really a challenge for people to, to do. And I guess the, the overall writing of this section is maybe don't worry about it. Like the walk into the bar is a classic because it works for a reason. Yeah. It, you just need to get the party together. That's not really that important. The important part is the story the party gets to experience as they, they learn each other, both from like a player perspective and a character perspective. And I think that's more, that's the thing you really have to worry about. So. Don't don't go nuts on it. Um, uh, I was gonna say, and uh, if you have players that you know are interested in developing a very deep sort of backstory for themselves, it can come along the way. There's nothing saying it has to be established right off the hop. So if you want to cater to you know enable things or cater to your players so that it enables them to have more fun with your adventure by letting them do that there's fun ways to interject their backstory into the game in progress. Yeah. And what I was going to say is, you know, the GM is the person coordinating everything and creating the, the, the story or creating the backdrop where the story is going to develop. But um, the players need to be interested too. Like you can't, they can't just be like, Oh, my character has no interest in this. Like you have, and this is something I fumbled on, on that first vampire uh, story that I built was that I didn't really, I was careless with the way that that the characters were put together, and it, this was my fault in not making sure that I was guiding the players in a direction that you know when I presented them with the plot that their characters would be interested in. But the players need to build characters that fit into the the story as well. Like imagine in your in your story then. If I had built like a merchant whose only idea of like what he wants to do in life is open uh, like a, a store and stay there forever, just like that character would never fly in in, a, in an adventure, right? And You'd so, be surprised how I can make that work. You'd be very surprised. <laughs> yeah, but but you can make that work. Doesn't mean I should like make you run around and try to bend over backwards to make it work. This is my point. Like, oh, the, for sure, it does right? create a little more work. The characters should fit the story and, and, you know, we're all playing the game to have fun together and it's not just the GM's responsibility to kind of force things into place, right? Sure. But so, so what about like, are you talking about a standpoint of the character needs to, to make sense for the world or are you talking about players need to know how their characters operate? So they're not, they're not asking questions about how do spells work? How do, how do my abilities work? It's both, really. But what I'm saying is, like, if I, as an example of the game that that we're gonna start and you guys are gonna play with me being the GM, I already told you guys, you guys, your characters have to be interested somehow in in occultism or occult stuff, right? In whatever way, if like if you build a character after me saying that to you, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, he he likes, he thinks it's cool, you know, having occult things, but he has no interest in it, like. That's something that we have to... Okay, that character is not going to fit the story, right? After, to me at least, after you build a group of characters, like you build it with each player, like knowing the character, like just like developing a backstory to some extent can come with because your character is going to evolve, but you have to... It's a joint responsibility for the GM and the player to build the character in a way that, you know, your character makes sense. Now he has all of these newfangled powers that he knows how to use it or he's interested in using because he learned them and, and 
not knowing precisely what is the role that I make or how much damage does it do, that's that's something you can consult quickly. But if you're if you're playing a character and you don't know what the character can do, then it's going to be really weird for you as a player to interact with you know everything. Like you go into this combat scene, for example, and you're like, oh, I don't know what my character can do. Like that's you know this because we've had you know, and I was you know guilty of it in your game Matt of kind of knowing what my character could do because I was stuck in in third edition and then everything was different in 5e and I was like wait I can't do that wait I can't do that either nope right so I still do that (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I think it's it's I was talking more about the building the character in a way that it fits the story that that you guys want or that the group wants to tell it together but yeah l- learning the powers and what the character can do and what the character how the character operates even like you know if, if you present him with danger what is it going to do is it going to take it head on is it going to t- try to be sneaky about it is it something else like if you don't know those things you're going to have a hard time playing and that's something the gm can help should help the players yeah. with well i think it sounds like there may be some differentiation differences between how vampire operates the game and how dungeons and dragons operates specifically in 5e oh, I think yeah. if you're if you're talking 3e or you know if you're still playing 3e aka pathfinder um having That's that four. structure around pathfinder your, is four no it's pathfinder five. is 3.5 yeah, oh okay 3.5. we're yeah. both wrong great well <laughs> i kind of just i don't when I talk about third edition, I assume it's three point five. I don't know anybody who just plays three, um, so that's that's my bad. That's what I because it, it was before it came out. So yeah, um, but yeah, so I think there's probably you know that's just how the games work is you have to have more backstory into vampire because it's a bit more RP heavy than say five E mm-hmm. where it's just hack and yeah. slash. Yeah. Stuff. So I you know we're 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 getting near the end of this this conversation, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't cover. Uh, the tools uh, now that everyone's trapped in the house forever um, <laughs> and depending on what country you live in you might want to just stay in your house forever because it's safer there um, you know we're using a lot more online stuff and and so you know when, when I started playing with Dan he started using uh, an application called foundry um, and and it sort of it really changed the interactivity of the, of the game in a meaningful way so Dan can you kind of explain how you found foundry and what you're able to do with it yeah sure uh so for people who aren't aware um when you're playing games online you can use what are called virtual tabletops and uh basically it's just it's exactly as it sounds it's like if you were to jump into a group chat but it happens to also have you know a grid map and everything that you can either draw on or import assets to or whatever else and you can play your DD game or whatever other game uh using that tool. Um, so as far as Foundry specifically goes, uh, I had previously been using a free uh, service called Roll20, which the three of us are very familiar with, unfortunately. <laughs> and uh, it has its problems. It's great because it's free. So for anyone that wants to get into this, you know, Roll20 is fantastic. Jump in, use it. You know, it won't cost you a penny. But Yeah, it's, it's a great starter. It has some drastic limitations in that it's, uh, well, it, it has limitations. Let's just put it that way. That's a whole other topic. Um, but uh, yeah, so in my perusal of, you know, just all things D&D and whatnot, uh, I just happened to come across this other virtual tabletop option called Foundry. And 
it's been absolutely fantastic. It's something you host yourself and you just let all your players connect to it. And it has damn near infinite expandability through the um, option of being able to download add-ons that are made by the community. And it has a very active and strong community. So pretty much, and it, and every, it seems like every other week there's like new game systems being supported by Foundry, that sort of thing. So it's not just limited to D&D. Uh, like if you're into like Call of Cthulhu or Pathfinder, well, Pathfinder is D&D. But, um, you know, there's, there's a, I, I've seen at least a dozen different game systems that are supported by Foundry so far. And so it's, uh, it's really cool. Um, the only problem with Foundry, of course, though, is that it's got an upfront cost, but it's a one-time cost. And uh, all I will say, though, is that I paid that money and I am 100% satisfied with my purchase. I would never go back to the free alternative. It's, it's been wonderful. It has quite the learning curve, though, as a GM for <laughs> setting things up. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going through it now, and there are some. I'm asking uh, a lot of questions to get it set up into a way that's meaningful for us to play with, but it's certainly powerful. Um, I just want to highlight something that Dan said about Pathfinder being Dungeons and Dragons. Um, please email us, and I will forward all those complaints to Dan specifically. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I don't know what he was talking about personally. All his opinions are his own. Wow! <laughs> Holy shit! Like just disavowing completely. I see. Oh, that bus really hurts as it goes over me. <laughs> um, are there any other tools you want to single out? This is this isn't a, a foundry a foundry advertisement podcast. It's just you know the big one we're using now. I mean, I'd happily advertise it. Yeah, I've tried several ones or attempted several ones for vampire and you know like there's a fifth edition that came out for vampire recently but it changed the game like too much from what i want to do and all of the tools coming out support i think foundry even and and uh well road 20 supports whatever and like astral uh they all support 5e and trying to run a game on an older system is hard in terms of tools so I find like row 20 at least lets me do something, but I, I actually might look into foundry to see if it supports, you know, V20, which is what I'm running, planning on running, but it's, it's like D and D for D and D you have no excuse not to run stuff, right? It, like D and D beyond is amazing for like, just putting the, the, the campaign together with the characters and all that stuff. And there's so many tools online that support 5e that, you know, you can take your pick and run with whatever you prefer. I can say that as a player, Foundry, as compared to Roll20, it's like night and day. Like, if I never play another D&D game on Roll20, it will be too soon, honestly. For If you're trying to run something else, that might, might take a little bit more research. I, I think Roll20 is, if you are just trying to get started, it does everything you need it to do. Even if the only thing it is, is a way for you guys to group together and talk. Um, and to see like pictures and stuff, it certainly helps. And, you know, you don't have to play a D&D with miniatures, but it certainly enables it very easily to put a grid on the screen for you. So it's a great starting point. I would recommend it as, as if you're just trying to get started, that's the way to go. But Foundry just, um, I think the, the reason why I like Foundry is in general, because everybody's not trapped in a room with their friends, they're very prone to drifting off and surfing the internet and not paying attention. Oh yeah. Oh yes. And 
and and foundry is a great way to get them back because it the interactivity on it is they see a room they see objects they can open doors they can go to different floors all sorts of things like that so it it requires players to pay a bit more attention and i think that's a good thing because that keeps them inside the world um, um if, if, if any of you guys are familiar with the old board game uh hero quest yeah to me it would be like the difference between playing using uh, playing a game on grid paper versus playing something with a board like hero quest yeah it's just it just yeah. it like adds a whole other dimension to it and, and it takes it away from you certain things right like like the whole thing with like what can you actually see and then you can you know spring surprises on the party and that kind of stuff it's a lot easier if the the the, the virtual tabletop does it for you so you don't have to mentally think about it mm -hmm. and i mean yeah. not to not to you know completely denigrate uh roll 20 like roll 20 can do a lot of these things too true but then you have to get into like a subscription tier and know how to do like a bunch of coding stuff because there's like uh, you need to be able to delve into the back end and it's it's really messy whereas foundry it's just like install an add-on do some configurations in the add-on settings pretty much good to go yeah um so just to make this not the foundry power hour uh, <laughs> podcast um you know foundry is great for maps and interactivity but in terms of story writing uh trying to build out your world if you're not necessarily using um the things like um i don't know where i was going with that if you're not necessarily using uh modules that's what i was going for you want to write it somewhere and i've been using google documents as a way to manage things and it works, but I mean, part of the problem with that is um, you need to have multiple screens. And even when you're playing online, multiple screens sometimes doesn't seem like it's enough. I'm always running out of space. Yeah, you're always running out of space. And like um, Google Docs doesn't organize itself very well, right? You can have one document at a time. Um, so I've heard people use a, a tool called World Anvil to, to collect their stuff. I haven't used it yet. Cobra, have you used it? I I gave it a look it's very complete and it's very like modular in terms of like what you want to use yeah. and you can even hold character sheets there if you want for your players um it's nice to create a whole new world so like for dnd especially if you're not running the run of the mill like you know um whatchamacallit uh like eberron or greyhawk or and uh yeah, or like forgotten, right? Um, you want to create the whole thing. That's that's your thing. Like it's so it's free for the most part. Only it will be you can make it private, which is annoying. But it is very. It seems like I used it very little, but it seems very good. Like if you want to create something new from scratch and hold all of the assets and all of the texts and whatever, that is a great tool for that. And uh, because we are definitely not going to keep promoting Foundry, I'm just going to go ahead and mention that uh, there's an <laughs> add-on in Foundry that allows you to import World, uh, World Anvil content directly into Foundry. All right. So that's been Dan from the Foundry <laughs> podcast. Yeah, um, Foundry marketing department. I'm still waiting for the paycheck. I don't know. It hasn't shown up paid. Yet. Yeah, it's very disappointing. Please fuck us up. Um, yeah, no, I, that's great to hear. I think... I think it's it, it, if you go through seeing all these different tools and seeing the things you can leverage to to play D and D online or other games online, it seems like they kind of focus on D and D right now. But but overall, it it's very 
it easily shifts to other applications. And um, so you can use these tools. Um, but I, I just want to reiterate, you could use no tools if you want to. You can write it on a piece of paper. You can get in Discord, which is essentially free, and just talk with your friends and play. Um, I, 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 the thing I'll recommend is if you're going to play D&D, um, Beyond is a, is a really handy tool. Um, they're getting, they're adding a bunch of stuff uh, to it as they go uh, in terms of dice rolling and things like that. So uh, it's getting better. Um, it helps for character building, building your character sheets when, when it's all located in there. So I recommend that if you're going to play D&D for any length of time. Um, but otherwise, you know, keep your eyes out for tools. There are good tools out there, um, but you don't necessarily need them to play. But if you're going to play a lot, uh, you you should strongly, strongly consider them. Yeah, all you really need is to be able to talk to people and roll dice in a way that people don't, you know, become creative with results. Really, that's really the, the thing that matters in terms of tools. Yeah. All the rest is just improvement, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we're pretty much out of time. Dan, do you have any last final words for new or developing game masters to that don't relate to Foundry? Uh, yeah, the only thing I would like to say is that if you want to get into DMing or GMing any type of game, the only possible way you can do it wrongly is if everyone's not having fun. As long as everyone's having fun, you're doing it right. Yeah, could not could not agree more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say go do it. Like I know a lot of people. I've I've heard from a lot of people. They're like, oh, I wish I could play, and then they ask, you know, like one of us. Oh, do you have space in your table? And we're all full, right? So I say, don't wait until someone has like, if you want to go play, go play. It, it's not going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. But like Dan says, if you're having fun with your friends, then you're doing it right. Whatever way you're doing it. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great place for us to end it at. Um, I have nothing further to add. Go get Foundry so Dan can get paid. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I think that's that's really all the time we have for this topic. I think we covered it fairly thoroughly, which is nice. Um, if you have any questions for us or comments or concerns, you can email us at yourwrongcast at gmail.com. Anything you want to say about or to Dan, I will forward to him so he can know how much the internet loves him. Um, otherwise, Dan, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. And uh, Cobra? What? 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 No. no Just finish it already. Okay. <laughs> we're done. Uh, yeah, so thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Or at least hear you next time. But you hear us. You'll hear us next time. And just remember that even though that was brutal, um, you're still wrong somehow. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>